Would you turn over with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, the 32nd verse. We're going to begin there when we get there. But in 4th of July weekend, it's not really here, but neither is next weekend. Because the 4th of July is on Wednesday. So we don't really have a 4th of July weekend. It happens every once in a while. But we will celebrate it along here somewhere this week. I came upon this questionnaire that we can kind of take and just kind of test us out a little bit, see what we think on this. Maybe you've been in this position before. You are in the 10 items cash only line at the grocery store. You got two cans of green beans, one can of Campbell's cream and mushroom soup, and a $20 bill fresh from your ATM. You know this is not me in line. The person in front of you has 15 items in their bag that they're bringing and a checkbook in their hand. How do you respond? A, gratitude for the green bean bake your family will enjoy and glad that you live in America, home of the free. Grit your teeth and wonder if the guy ahead of you failed math and reading. Or C, yell at the cashier, checkout line violation, 15 items, 15 items. Question two, you receive a letter from the IRS stating you will soon be receiving a $1,000 refund on your tax return. How do you respond? Gratitude that you live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Grit your teeth about the other $10,000 you paid in taxes. Or rip the letter in shreds and demand more. Question number three, you receive a letter from the IRS stating you will be audited. How do you respond? Gratitude to live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Cleanse the phone and call your accountant. Or write the Union the Union Tribune an angry letter about tax oppression in the U.S. Question number four, you are driving your daughter to school and as you drop her off, the car in front of you decides to just park there. Trapping you into school parking lot. How do you respond? You look out the window and give thanks for this time to stop and smell the roses and car fumes. Grateful to live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. B, grab the steering wheel tighter as steam comes out your ears. Or C, honk the horn continuously until you sound out, move your car in Morris Code. Question number five, you are watching your football team play. On Sunday, and they win by a touchdown in a close game. How do you respond? You stand up and start singing about your team's victory and how proud you are to live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Or B, you wring your hands over the game for next week. Or C, you call a sports radio station and complain about how we should have won by three touchdowns. (laughs) Well, if you had Bs for your answer, you need to take a pill, a, a, a breath and chill out and relax. If you had all C's for your answers, you need therapy. If you had all A's, you need to teach this message. And if you had a mixture of A, B's, and C's, welcome to the club. (laughs) Oh, we can certainly become more grateful for the things that we have, though, can't we? A lot of things happen in this country over this week. Sometimes we might lose sight of the fact that we are still America. We are still the home of the brave, the people who have done some great things in this country. In Acts chapter 4, 
Verse 32. So we've been looking at Pharaoh, our poster child for stubborn. We saw that there are four areas areas that identify us as being steady or stubborn. The first area was our relationship to authority. Pharaoh didn't receive any other authority but himself. Our generosity with supply. When God asks you to give up something, what's your response? Pharaoh's was, nope, those Israelites are mine. Our focus during turmoil and our motivation in boldness. These are our areas that identify whether we are steady or stubborn, which side we are on. But we said it all comes down to this. Stubborn people believe that they are right and cannot change and, and do not change. They believe that they are right and they do not change. They do not believe that they should change. They believe that they are right. You can present them with facts, but they will be dismissed. Pharaoh with the, had the advice of the magicians. They said, this is the hand of God. We can't duplicate this. And he said, no, nah, I'm still not going to let him go. The way I'm going is right, and if you don't agree with me, you are wrong. That is a stubborn person. But steady people believe that they are right, but are correctable. We said last week, in being right, be correctable. There is more we don't know than we do know. I tell you what, we ever compare our knowledge to God's. You've got to understand. We may think we know a whole lot on a topic, but God says, <laughs> you don't know nothing. And really, you got to always remember, no matter how much we may know about a thing, God knows far more, far more. You know, it's kind of like that little toddler coming home from school and they learn something in school. Mommy, I just learned. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's good. And what do we think? <laughs> Man, you got so much to learn. But oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Sometimes uh, God looks at us that way, too. You know, you're coming along. That's right. You learned that. That's good. But there's so much more. If we ever get to the point that we think our knowledge is all that there is. Oh, we're in, we're in big trouble. God knows far more than we do. Person who is steady thinks that the way I'm going is right, but perhaps can be made more right. Perhaps it can be refined. Perhaps God can steer it a little bit better. Get it going a little bit more. And certainly he can. But we have to be willing. We have to be listening. We have to have that right attitude. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were in possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed each one as everyone had need. Now we look at this, and sometimes people want to pattern societies after this. You cannot pattern a society after this. This was for a moment. This is a whole lot of people who came to Jerusalem for the feast, and God's Spirit got poured out, and they stayed there because they wouldn't be part of it. And so people who lived there sold some lands that they had. Now, we might be thinking about this and says, wow, what a, what a great thing to do, to sell land and just give the money away. But I want you to think about what they are doing. These people are selling lands, maybe some sold houses, maybe some sold other stuff. They are selling stuff. But in 25 to 30 years, Rome is going to come through and make this land worthless. Don't lose sight of that. When God says, I want you to go uh, you know, sell what you have. 
what he's saying is, if you sell what you have now, I'll make sure you have riches in heaven. Because what you got down there in 25 years is going to be worth nothing. The Romans are going to come through and they're going to take it all away. But you give it to me now, it'll be in your account and you'll have riches. <laughs> but God was asking them to do something. If God asks you to do something, then you need to do it. You need to go and you need to, to do that. But some people might be saying, oh, but it's been in my family for years and I really don't think God wants me to do this. Uh, uh, no, I don't know about that. Rome's coming. Jesus knew Rome was coming. He warned the disciples about it. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This guy went from pretty much, well, we can tell anyway, a nobody to being on the map because he sold some land. He didn't sell his house. He sold some land. He had some land. Apparently wasn't doing a whole lot, but had some land. Sold it. Brought the money and just laid it at the apostles' feet. Here you go. And uh, some people saw, wow, look at the attention Barnabas got. And we know Barnabas, he went on to some great things after this and was uh, very prominent in the church even before Paul came around. Now, as we said, he didn't sell his home. He sold an extra piece of property. His motives were to help those in need to promote the revival and grow the kingdom of God. That was his motive. He didn't have any self-motive. He wasn't trying to promote Barnabas, but Barnabas got promoted as a result of it. What he did became known, and the people respected and honored him for it. He even changed his name, what he was known by. Verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. That sounds good. Kind of did the same thing. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land? Now here we saw first the reason for giving, the reason that Barnabas and others were giving. Here we're seeing the reasons for lying. The reasons for lying were similar to the ones for giving, except that there's some self-motivation mixed in on it. Sometimes people lie for good motivations, but there's always something selfish involved with it. Otherwise, you really don't have too much reason to lie. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Now, notice what he says here. Why has Satan filled your heart? You would think that the motivation to sell a piece of property and bring the money into the church would be by God, not Satan. Why would Satan do that? Why would Satan motivate somebody to give money to the church? <laughs> well, we don't know that Satan inspired him to give the money to the church. What we do know is that Satan said, as you're giving the money, well, just you know, get, keep part of it back and make it look like it was the whole thing. Verse 4 is really important. This is really important that you get a hold of what verse says, what 4 says. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? While it remained, was it not your own? It was your own. We all, we, we all got to realize some things about the stuff that we have. So how many have ever heard people say, well, everything I have is God's. I don't have anything. Everything I have is God's. That's a problem. Because God thinks it's yours. 
If God thinks it's yours and you think it's God's, what's going to happen to it? Well, say that, you know, we're walking along the, the path and you find a $20 bill on the ground. And there's four or five people sitting there. And you see the $20 bill, you knew it wasn't yours. And so you ask somebody, is it yours? No. Is it yours? No. What's going to happen to that $20 bill? If nobody claims it as their own, it's going to go to someone else, isn't it? It's going to, it's going to be lost. If you have a lost and found at where you work and you lose something and somebody founds it and, and put it in the lost and found and you never go to the lost and found to claim it, guess what happens to it? If no one takes ownership of a thing, it goes away. It goes to someone else. If you don't take ownership of the stuff that you have, you, there's a problem with the stuff that you have. It's not going to be used. God has given you money. He has given you cars. He's given you... He, there are things... That, but He's given them to you. to yours. That's mine. That's okay to say that. That's mine. God gave it to me. It's a blessing from God. It's mine. And guess what you can do with it? Whatever you want. Because it's... It belongs to you. We take if you take ownership. See, if I got a car out there, I got a truck out there. Now, if I suddenly see my truck when I'm standing here, you all aren't standing this way. I'm facing this way. I can see out the window. If I suddenly see somebody drive off with my truck, you know what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm acting on that because that's mine. <laughs> that's my truck. I use that truck. I have a truck because I need a truck. That's my truck. And we go after it. If you're at home and somebody is walking out of your shed with your lawnmower, what are you doing? That's mine. That's, that's mine. If somebody goes into your house and you come home, pull up in the driveway, and you see somebody walking out with your brand new TV, what are you going to do? Well... It was never mine to begin with. Everything I have is God's. If you want to take it, then, you know, then you go ahead. No, it's yours. But see, Christians don't know what belongs to them. Because we don't know what belongs to them, anybody can come along and take it. They can take your healing. They can take your job. They can take your peace, your presence of mind, your joy. They can take it because it's not mine. In order... For me to fight for something, I got to know it's mine. It's mine. Now, that sometimes you watch this in sports and you see this. How many know when you play basketball, there's five people on each side, but there's one ball. Now, if you've ever played basketball or a similar sport, you know the idea is to have the ball and do something good with it. That's the idea. You want to do something good with the ball. <laughs> something productive. Something that is, that is good. Um, when I play basketball with some of the guys that, that I get together and we play basketball with, the, I, I play, no matter who's on the team, most of them are better shooters than me. And I play with some guys that are fantastic shooters. These guys can shoot the lights out of places. I mean, I'm an amazed. One guy holds the record for his college of scoring. And he can hit from anywhere in the, in the court. And if he puts it up in the air, it's going in. It's, another guy, he's huge. He is big. He probably weighs twice as much as I do. 
is taller than I can. I don't know how it is he can't dunk the basketball, but he doesn't dunk the basketball. But he plays a mean game on the inside. But beside that, that boy can shoot the lights out. He can shoot from halfway, from half court, and most of the time, make it. Now, how do you guard that? (laughs) So I realized early on, my role when I play basketball is not to shoot. I do shoot sometimes, but my role is not to shoot. I'm not there for that. So what I generally do is I take the ball down because of all the guys we play with. You know, I'm one of the faster ones, and um, I usually drive the ball pretty hard. And So I, I drive the ball. I've got the ball. I generally like to be the guy with the ball in the hand, and I'll, I can make some good passes to guys and help them open them up and do some things with that. But sometimes, if you're the guy who's taking the ball down, sometimes you lose the ball. Sometimes somebody else came along and stole. Ever played basketball and somebody steal the ball from you? I don't know if it happens to you, but it happens to me. And I get mad because you know why? That was my ball. I had that ball. You stole that ball from me. And I get mad and I run after the guy. I'm going to take that ball back. And I... Because I lost the ball. I lost the ball for my team. I better go over and get that ball back. And you know what? Sometimes I do. I go back and I get that thing. <laughs> and I get the ball back. You took that from me. I'm taking it from you. And they get it on back down there. Because that was my ball. But you see, if I just play with an attitude and said, well, it's not really my ball. It's not a ball that I brought. Somebody else has brought the ball of the game. You know, if he really wants the ball, I guess I should let him have No! <laughs> You can't have that. If you're going to play basketball and if you're going to handle the ball, you better protect it. Guard it. You need to take the ball. Now, I don't like having the ball stolen from me, but I do love stealing the ball from other people. And when at any opportunity I get, I will steal the ball and, and drive it down to court any time that I can. There is no bad time in the game to steal the ball. Any time is a good time to steal the ball. And if I steal the ball, guess what? It's mine. <laughs> right? We've got to get more of this idea in our, in our heads that it's mine. It belongs to me. God gave this to me. It's mine. And we've got to get that in our... Heads, look at what Peter is saying. You've got to get the wisdom of this. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? That seems confusing when you look at the next verse. While it remained, was it not your own? Whose? His. It belonged to him and his wife. He said, it's your own. And after you sold it, you were under no obligation. It was still in your control. Whatever you wanted to do, it's under your control. You can do whatever you want with it. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, most churches do not greet people who bring large sums of money with that viewpoint. Most people don't greet them that way. Why have you lied? <laughs> but Peter is doing that right now. He is, he is getting bold. But I want you to see this. The stuff that you have is whose? Mine. Belongs to you. The money that's in your checking account belongs to who? Me. You. 
The stuff in the driveway, the stuff in the shed, the stuff in the garage, the stuff in the house belongs to you. It's yours. Guard it. Protect it. Keep it. Jesus even taught, if you're going to walk into somebody's house and take the stuff, you've got to first off bind the strong man because he's going to guard it. Why? It's his stuff. It's his stuff. So Ananias and Sapphira, they desired to help, but they also desired something else. Barnabas, he wanted to help. It's a good thing to want to help, but it's a tough thing when someone wants to help and wants something else. Because what else is it that they want? Now, Scripture does not tell us what percentage they held back. It doesn't say they held back 50%. It doesn't say they held back 25%. It doesn't say they held back 15%. It doesn't tell us what percentage they held back. What it, what it does give the impression of is that the amount of money they brought would give the indication that they were bringing it all. So it was not a small percentage. It was not like they brought like 30% of it. They had to be bringing a good bit of it. And let's just pull a number out of the hat. Just for fun. This is not in the Bible. We don't know this. But let's just say that they sold the thing and they brought 70% of the money to God. Is that a good offering? My word, that's a good offering. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that offering at all. It's a good offering. Would God have blessed that offering? Absolutely. Paul is telling them, or Peter is telling them here, it was yours. When you decided to sell it, the money you got for it, it was all yours. You do with it what you want to, and you decided to bring it here. The problem was, you're passing it off as if you are bringing the whole thing, and you're not. Now, why are they being judged so harshly? They really didn't say anything. It's just people assuming. Well, first off, they made this whole situation equal to the situation in Jericho. The money that they brought, that they got from that sale, became an accursed thing, just like in Joshua chapter 7. Because they were following the example of others, and they were given the impression that everything they got was dedicated to God, and then they kept part of it back. If you dedicate a thing to God, then it's God's. Up until then, it was whose? Theirs. But when they said this is God's, it then became God's. Why did it become God's? Because they dedicated it. It was their decision. They decided to dedicate it to God, and then they kept back part of it. That's where the problem came in. Again, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own? Was it not in your own control? So what you have is your own. It is under your control. There are some exceptions, but exceptions are only when God asks something of you. He can ask something of you through commands. Commands such as tithes. Are tithes requested? No, they're they're commanded. When God commanded it. Now, what God is saying is, whatever income that you get is yours, but the 10% is mine. He's made that declaration. But what happens to the rest of the 90%? It's yours. So if I start tipping into the 10%, I'm taking on the accursed thing. Don't do that. Because stuff wears out faster. Problems rise up. Things don't go as well. Stuff breaks. I heard one person was listening to him a couple weeks ago. He was saying, no matter what, you're going to pay your tithes. (laughs) I thought, man, that's good. (laughs) He said, no matter what, you're going to pay your tithes. Either you're going to bring them to God or you're going to lose stuff. 
But either way, you're going to pay your tithes. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know that one is true. How many of y'all learned that? How many of us, we've learned that the hard way, haven't we, before? I'll tell you what, you pay your tithes, you do that, you do better on the 90% that's left over than the 100% you had before. And then you're obedient. And it's impossible. I remember years ago we heard this guy teach on this stuff, and I never thought of it until he said it. But he said, it is impossible. Well, no, first of all, he went over the fact that there is a greater blessing on offerings than there is tithes. As good as a blessing there is on tithes, there's a better blessing on offerings. Far but oh, 30, 60, 100 comes off of, off of offerings. But he said, you cannot put an offering in until your tithes are complete. I thought, man, that's good. <laughs> How can you give an offering when you haven't paid your tithes? Because an offering comes out of the 90% that's left over. And so some people just have done it on their own. They said, well, I'm going to tithe 5% and then I'll give an offering. No. <laughs> it don't work that way. No, I didn't make the rules. That's just how it is. You can go with your own way of, about doing things. But I'll tell you, we've had people testify in this church. My wife and I, we have testified. Other people have testified. The 90% goes farther than 100% ever will. And then God just finds a way to increase the 90%. So 90% is growing. Just just do what he says to do. Because, you know, like I said, stuff doesn't happen to you. That was what's happening before. Things aren't breaking like they were before. Not having these crazy expenses come up that were happening before. I'm not saying that you don't have any. But, oh, I'll tell you, some of the folks in the world. You know, we, my wife and I, we know people in the world, they don't, go to church, they don't pay tithes, they make more money than we do and live in a harder way of life than we do. Just don't do it. Now, here's some, that's one exception is uh, when he commands such things like the tithes. Here's another one. When he gives you a special assignment and he says, Steve, I want you to go over and bless that brother over there. Give him some money. Yes, sir. Steve, I want you to go over and, and that thing you got, I want you to give that thing over here. Give it to him. Yes, sir. That's a special assignment. That's when God comes down. It's, there's nothing commanding the word. He just said, I want you to go out there and do that. And uh, yes, sir, I'll do that. It's mine. You asked me for it. If it was God's, he wouldn't ask me for it, would he? He'd just take it. It's mine. Get, get out of the way. This is mine. But he didn't. It's mine. And he said, Steve, I want you to take that that's yours and give it to this person over here. All right. You listen to those special assignments. I'll tell you what, some good things come. Here's some examples of that. The rich young ruler. What do I lack? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, and you will have riches in heaven and in this life. Hey, but the widow with Elijah. What was she asked? Give what you got. What do you got? I only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. That's all I got. It's all right. Go ahead and give that. <laughs> Go ahead and do it. It'll work. Okay? So there's sometimes that God gives some special assignments. There's no obligation that you're under, but he just said, I need you to do this. What, did, uh, what was that God said to Elijah? I've commanded a widow woman to feed you. Okay? So he went in there. So as we look at these four identifiers we talked about before, we're stubborn people. And we look at the second one. We looked at the first one more in depth last week. But we look at the second one, this part of our generosity, being generous with the stuff. We don't see that going on with Pharaoh, he is not generous with the stuff. What I, what I got is mine and I want more. That's what he's looking at. When we look at this issue, though, 
the generosity with the stuff. You know what? Its root is the same thing as the one we looked at last week. It's a problem with authority. It's your relationship with authority. Because what happens is I got my stuff and God has said, give this to so-and-so, do this with it, and I say, "Mm mm-mm, I'm resisting authority. That's why people are not generous. They resist authority. Because, once again, I am my authority. This is my stuff. And I am the authority with it. It is your stuff. But you're under God's authority. If you're under God's authority, if God says, give it up, what do you do? Give it up. All right. Here it is. If you need it, that's fine. It'll work. And I'll tell you what, it worked for those people. It was good. If God's word, written or spoken, logos or rhema, will not release your stuff then you are in charge. If God's word, written or spoken, in other words, the logos or the rhema, the stuff that is written or the stuff that he speaks to you, if his word will not release your stuff, then just confess to it, just own up, you're in charge. You may walk around saying that God's in charge, but you're in charge. So stop blaming God for everything that's going wrong in your life because you're in charge. (laughs) that's all there is to it you're in charge we always want to blame God well God you're in charge no you're in charge now God does not deal with the world this way but why did he deal with Pharaoh this way it's simple Pharaoh had God's stuff don't take God's stuff the children of Israel were God's the Lord Jesus didn't come through Moses and say Pharaoh give up your slaves what did he say Let my people go. God does such wonderful things with short sentences. I mean, they speak volumes. Let my, let you allow my people go. Four words. Let my people go. They're mine. Let them go. He's not going to do it. He's not being generous with the stuff, but still the whole thing comes down to I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Now, what motivated Ananias and Sapphira to do this? First off, well, they wanted to give to the Lord. That's a good desire. Give to the Lord. But they wanted to be honored. They saw honor coming to everybody else. They wanted to be honored. Uh, They wanted to be appreciated. Anybody ever want to be appreciated? Anybody feel... Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever feel unappreciated? Oh, I'll tell you what. We hate being feel unappreciated. They wanted to feel appreciated. They wanted... Basically put it this way. They wanted something else. They wanted to give to the Lord, but they also wanted something else. If you're going to give to the Lord, don't want something else. Just, all right, God, if you want that, here it is. It's yours. I give it to you. Don't come after the thing with the thing that, well, God, everything I have is yours. If you want, go ahead and take. No. Father God, this is mine and I give it. I'm giving it over here. Let my people go. He didn't say, get your hands off my people. (laughs) He said, my people, basically he's saying this, my people are in in your jurisdiction. You've had the care of them all this time. Now, let them go. He said, nope. I've enjoyed having these people here. Look at all the stuff they've been building for me. Making bricks, putting them together. It's been great. 
Verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Man. Imagine having a church and the apostle, prophet, pastor says something, the guy drops dead. Now, of course, we would have a different response here. We'd have to call, you know, the paramedics and the ambulance would have to come and probably interrupt service a little bit. But they didn't have that problem back then. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, which probably would for you too. And the young man arose, wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. So I guess I, I, it just seems like, I don't know if they had this or not, but it just seems like beside ushers and beside catchers, they had barriers. <laughs> what, what are you supposed to do? We have ushers, we have catchers, they had barriers. The young men, of course you want young men when you, have you ever dug? You want young men to do that sort of thing. The young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Doesn't seem like they asked for any instructions. They seem to know what they're doing. That's kind of scary. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm thinking this is kind of, it's kind of offsetting. They have a team of people ready to bury you. That could scare newcomers off. We got a lot of newcomers. We've, they've been added to the church thousands. And they could see this and, hmm, they got a team of people to bury you. <laughs> Wonder how often this has happened here. So they went out and they buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, tell me whether you should, you sold the lamb for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, carried her out, buried her by her husband. Now one thing is comforting. They seem to only have one team. There doesn't seem to be another team to stand in when they're gone. So that's kind of comforting. <laughs> but they seem to have the team and they come on in. Oh, another one. All right, let's go. <laughs> and they wrap that one up. Apparently they had a supply of, of uh, dead people blankets. You know, back over here, we have a supply of blankets for the ladies when they go down on the spirit. We have blankets to cover them up. They have blankets for dead people. Dead people blankets. <laughs> so... They got the dead people blankets, went over and got another dead person blanket, wrapped that one up, carried them on out. They had another place. Now, what's amazing here is they didn't have to clear this with anybody, talk to anybody. They just, you know, we'll take them on out. We just go over here. We got a little, little speck of land over here. We'll just bury them right there, right next to the husband. Wow. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Man, they got a team of people to bury. You better stay, you better shape up. You better walk okay. Oh. The Word of God tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You get into a mindset of a stubborn person, you are better than other people. A steady person does not view it that way. A steady person has this mind that they esteem. They're not saying that other people are better. They esteem others as better than themselves. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't let anything be done through selfish ambition or conceit. A stubborn person is a person who has a problem with who's in charge. 
And if no one is in charge, guess who's in charge? I am. And they take charge. God is not in charge. They may give the appearance that God's in charge, but they're in charge. They do things through selfish ambition. Anytime that selfish ambition kicks in, I am taking over. Anytime. Whenever selfish ambition comes in, whenever I'm doing something because I want to do it this way, I want, whenever, whenever selfish ambition comes up, I'm taking charge. Barnabas was mindful of the kingdom. Ananias and Sapphira were mindful of the kingdom and selfish ambitions. It is great to be mindful of the kingdom, but don't also be mindful of your selfish ambitions. You've got to let those things go. We can ask this question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it because of me or the kingdom? Which one's it for? Am I doing this for the kingdom? Am I doing it for me? We've got to keep in mind, we're down here for what? 60, 70, 80 years? Whatever it is that you want to be down and around here for? And then we go on to eternity. 60, 70, 80 years, minding the business of God to get to eternity and have great things going on. Ooh, this is nothing. We've got to be working, going in that direction. You want to know if you're, you are stubborn? You want to know if you are steady? Who's in charge? If God comes down and says, that stuff you got there, release it. I need it over here. What's, what do you say? Oh, I need that stuff. Mm-mm. Nah. Ask me for something else. But not, not that one. I need that one. Now, that's the wrong way to go about it. We're taking charge. Don't take charge. If I follow that direction, then I'm following a direction that's going to put me into a place of being stubborn. And when God comes and tries to correct me, when God comes and try and steer me in the right direction, what do I do? I resist. I find myself resisting to God. This gets me into a place where I become hard to God. I become stiff-necked, as it's also called. I become like Pharaoh. No, I'm going to do it my way even if I destroy everything around me. Pharaoh was so hard that even though he was losing his crops, the respect of his people, even his son, no, no, I'm going this way. I'm staying on this thing. Don't, you don't want to be in that stubborn direction. But don't start practicing. Don't start getting yourself that way. As far as relationship to authority, we have authorities in our life. Your relationship to them needs to be respectful. You do not have to say, well, whatever they do is right. Whatever they do is not always right. I know we have all kinds of different views on what the Supreme Court decided this week. But if you, guard, if you line it up against the Constitution, they did wrong. The judge, the overall judge, Roberts, decided to rewrite legislation in order to pass it. That is not the job of the court. Whether you like the legislation, whether you don't like the legislation is irrelevant. You cannot... A court cannot rewrite legislation to make it work. Can't do it. This, this is a bad week for the courts. Oh, man. Arizona is basically left defenseless. You can't guard your borders. And the federal government afterwards told them, we aren't going to guard it either. Don't call us. If you call us, we are not answering. Now, what's Arizona going to do now? They're not allowed legally to guard their borders. The federal government won't guard their borders. 
And the people that are in charge that are supposed to take care of them said, if you call us, you will get a busy signal, basically. Jan Brewer got up there on a show. She said, basically, we were told to drop dead. That's because of a court decision. It was a bad week for courts, in, in my view on it anyway. But I just look at what kind of things you're supposed to do. The court cannot rewrite legislation. But if you look at uh, Robert's statement, that's what he did. He, wrote, he rewrote it. And he said, first off, this can't be a tax. And we had the inter interview. The Supreme Court would not have listened to the court case if it was a tax. They would have kicked it out because you cannot bring, I don't know if you know this, that's why they asked this first off. You cannot bring a case before the court on a tax that has not been collected. Anybody know that? That's why the first question out of the justice's mouth was, is this a tax? Because if they said yes, it would have, they would have kicked it out. We cannot hear a case about a tax until it is collected. But they said, no, it's not a tax. Then the next day they argued that it was a tax. And then in the end, he said, we're going to call it a tax. We're going to rewrite it so that it is a tax. <laughs> that's just, that's not the way our government's put together. Whether you like what happened out of it or whether you didn't, I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just, you, you can't rewrite that. You can't go. People with selfish ambitions kicked in. They want notoriety, notoriety. they want uh, to be seen, uh, whatever it was that they wanted to be popular. I don't know what the, the motivations were. I'm not them. We can't come out with selfish ambition. If we are going to serve God, we've got to serve God that says, God, I will be nothing in this. What do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? If you ask me to give up my stuff, it's my stuff, but I will give it because I am yielded to your authority. We must be yielded to authority. That's the thing we've got to do as, as Christians. Are you yielded to the authority of God? In order to be yielded to His authority, He, he needs to be able to correct you. You are, you are right as far as you know. But you can know more. And God can refine your path a little bit better. In order for that to happen, first off, God has to be set ahead of you. After that, you need to have some other people that are ahead of you that can speak into your life. If you are walking in such a way that no one else is as right as I am, therefore I can hear from no man. Oh dear. That should be alarm bells that should go off on the inside of you. But how many of you all know people, not here, but you know people that operate like that? You know that's wrong. That's not, that's not the way you can operate. Don't do that. We can be corrected. We can be challenged. We can be. We can go. You know, there's 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 things we 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 um, believe. There's things that we see in the Word of God. Who do you run it by? Who do you talk to about these things? Can anybody speak into your life and correct you? Can anybody help you with that? If if not, then how receptive are you really for God to speak into your life and correct you? There is no situation until you are in a wrong. And then someone comes along and corrects you. That's when you know where you're at. When you're right and everybody says, oh, yeah, that's good. That's right. That's not a test. A test is when you were wrong and somebody came along and corrected you, how would you respond? And that'll tell you. We've got to get ourselves to a place where we can respond correctly when that goes on. Get the selfish ambition out of the way. Because we need to be steady for the things of God and not stubborn. I can't be moved off these things. Oh, I tell you what, if you will be able to be moved 
and to be pliable and God can shape you, he'll take you all kinds of ways. How many of you know Daniel? When you start out in the book of Daniel, Daniel is in a right way. This man knows the word of God. But by the end of Daniel, how many of you all know, after all those years, Daniel knew more. He was more right at the end than he was at the beginning because he was pliable. Because God was able to shape him. Because he had people that were around him that could speak into his life. Paul believed that he was right, but he was wrong. And when God came down and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Or Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did Paul do? He changed. You have got to be in a place where when the word of God comes, when light comes and it exposes a wrong thing in your life, it does not take you more than five minutes. You change. I will change that now. Father God, I will change that attitude. I will change that thinking. I will straighten this up. Oh, is that what's missing? All right, we'll fix that right now. We get it going. You can fix it. If God shows you something on faith and you haven't been doing that, fix it. Then, right then. What's that show? Father God, you are in charge of my life. Whatever you speak to me, I listen. If you say go left, I go left. If you say go right, I go right. If you say stay straight, I stay straight. If you say stop, I say I stop. I'm ready to... We listen. And see, the more that we can get into hearing His voice, the more He can guide us into places that He couldn't guide us into before. You know why people can do some fantastic surgeries now that they couldn't do before? Because we have equipment that will respond to the slightest movement. We can steer it within millimeters of where it needs to go. We couldn't do that before. And because we can, we can do greater things in the area of surgeries, medical things, than we ever could before. The more sensitive, the more that God can move you, when He can just say, just, just a little bit, and we move and we respond. We don't know why I need to move a millimeter over, but I just move. God can take us into spaces. He can take us into places because He knows I can take you in and I can guide you out and you will listen. If you had not been in that place, I could not have taken you there. You have to be in that place. I told you before, story with my dog when I was growing up, I could take her places that most people could not take dogs simply because my dog would listen. If I snapped the finger, the dog would stop. If I called the dog, the dog would come. There was no delay. If I said, come here. It's right. It didn't ask why. It didn't say, now? No. If I snapped my finger, that dog moved. Because I knew I could trust that dog in any situation. Any situation. It didn't matter where I was. It did not make any difference if other dogs were around, if other people were around, if cars were around, if danger was around. It made no difference. Every situation I was ever in, snapping my finger, and that dog moved. Most times, I would say, there were contextual snaps. Because I could snap my fingers in this situation and the dog knew what I meant. And I could snap in another one and the dog knew what I meant then too. Sometimes I did this and it stopped. Sometimes I did this and it came. It's, it, I don't know how it learned all that, but it did. <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, the trust I had in that dog. But I was able to do things with her, take her places, do things that I could never have done if the dog was not listening. God is waiting for people who will be so submitted to His authority that when He says... 
go, we go, stop, we stop, left, we turn left. And he says, I can trust them so much. I can take them now in the areas of the word. I can take them in the areas of their life. I can have them minister to people. Oh, this is good. And he will help you. Oh, he will help you. He will open up all kinds of things for us. If we have proven that we can be trusted. Who is in charge? It's a huge question. It's so important. Because who is in charge determines whether you are steady or you are stubborn. If I am in charge, I am stubborn. If God is in charge, I am steady. It's that simple. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? How many of y'all know that we have believed some things in the past that all of a sudden we're sitting in church, we're listening to the radio, we're watching TV, some preachers on TV, and they say something that was, ah, I always thought the opposite was true. And our spirit's concurring. Our spirit says, oh, yeah, that's right. And we have a choice. What do we do? Go with the way that we've been always going or, or listen. What are you going to do? That will tell you who's in charge. It'll tell you whether you're steady whether you're stubborn. Also tell you why you have some of the problems in your life that you got. Because stubborn people have all kinds of problems. Stubborn people get into dilemmas, situations, incidences. Y'all have a stubborn, ever worked under a stubborn boss? What follows that stubborn boss everywhere they go? Turmoil, problems, situations, all, every place they go. Whatever you may, uh, an office can be working good. You put a stubborn boss in there. What happens to the office? Whole thing falls in disrepair. If you are stubborn, that's what your life is like. That's why it's that way. If you are steady, glory to God. <laughs> you work for a, a stubborn boss. It's tough not to get that same stubbornness on you. It's, you got to constantly be on guard on it. But be on guard. Don't let that stuff get in. Would you all stand up with me? It's Communion Sunday today, first Sunday of the month. We want to remember what the Lord has done for us here on this day. Archers coming forward as they go around and they pass the elements. Take them, hold on to them. We're going to take them together. But Jesus came down. He said, I want you to yield to this. This is my body and this is my blood. What was going on in the Old Covenant, we're now finalizing that. We're going on to something new. The blood of bulls and goats no longer needed. We're going to change this up. My body is going to be beaten for you. Sickness and disease don't have to be part of your life anymore. You can be free. But you've got to know it belongs to you. Otherwise, somebody can come along and steal it. When Jesus came down, He taught us great things. taught us wonderful things. But what He showed us was here is a man, Jesus Christ, who did what his father said to do. Always out of his mouth was, I and my father are one. I come to do the will of the father. I don't come to do my own will. I come to do his will. He comes to do his will. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, how he, that's the model he gave us. And that's what we need to do. Father God, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do yours. I don't want to be stubborn on the things that I've always done or things that I've always known. I want to be yielding 
I want to be able to listen. When you show me something in your word, I'm going to yield. I'm going to yield. You should have some people in your life that are ahead of you in that area. That they yield quicker than you do. And listen to them. Listen to them. Watch them. The disciples watched Jesus. He was more yielded than they were. They watched him. You know what? They became as yielded as he was. But you got to have people like that ahead of you. Make sure you got them. You are not the final authority. You are not the be-all to end-all. That's an attitude of stubborn people. You are not so. <laughs> we are pliable. We're soft. We are ready to be used. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread before supper. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, that we are to remember that on his body was put our sickness and our disease. Our pains, our suffering was put upon him. He does not get glory out of us taking those things on. He says, I took them on my body so you don't have to. Let's eat together and remember the body of Jesus. After supper, he took the cup. And he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. No longer. We have to keep making sacrifices for sins. He said, now my sacrifice is all you're going to need. We're not just going to cover up sin. We are going to cleanse you. Which means we stand in the presence of God. He wants us to remember this because it's important that every day we understand. I am cleansed. The accuser of the brethren is going to come. He's going to make you think you can't be before God. You can't come before God. You need to go to somebody else. Look what you just did this morning. Look what you did yesterday. Nope. Father God, I thank you that I've received forgiveness what Jesus did at the cross and you have washed me clean and I can stand in the presence of God. Let's drink together and remember we can stand because of him. Thank you, Father. Father, we give you the praise and the glory. We thank you for the wonderful life we get to live down here for you. We don't live this life for ourselves. We live it for you. We thank you for the blessings, the stuff that's come to us. It's ours. But we are under your control. We are under your command. We yield to your authority. And if anything in our stuff is needed by you, we want to be generous with our supply. We want to give whatever is needed, whatever you ask for. We yield that to you. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go this morning, Monica had a testimony she wanted to, to give. It's good to see Monica back. It's good to see Lou back. He's, he's back over there too. And uh, Jolly, as he said, Jolly was back. It was good to see him after a couple of weeks. We're going to get to hear some of those testimonies. That'll be good. Go ahead, Monica. Um, I just want to give this to God. I'm back. Um, I was on vacation last week. Um, I'm, sti- I'm still on vacation. I had two-week vacation. Ah. But uh, one-week vacation, I went to um, down south to visit some family members, uh, my sister and my nieces and my brothers. Uh, and then we also took off to Florida. I actually drove from here all the way to North Carolina and to Florida <laughs> by myself. Um, yes, a brave woman. But <laughs> but I want to give thanks to God. Um, the week that we went to Florida, it was not a good week. 
as most of you were watching, there were storms mm-hmm. down there. Um, people were calling us all the time asking, how's everything? It was pouring, raining through all the trip. From Sunday that we left all the way, <laughs> we came back on Wednesday, it was still pouring. And um, some part of Florida was like flooding or something. And then it was like a lot of houses were flooded and people lost homes. Um, that was, I think, like Tampa area, and we were in Orlando. So we went there to have fun with the kids, um, but we did not have fun that we <laughs> wanted to have, especially when you, you know, when you take kids, yeah. they want to go to Disney. They want to see characters and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. But the rain, everything messed up, everything. But to us, it did not mess anything. Because we did have a wonderful, wonderful time, even with the rain. But we had fun and we enjoyed the trip. But the most funny part was, like, it was my sister and I and with the kids. With two kids, we went, and we didn't have much budget to go to Disney. You know, when you go to Disney, you need at least, like, a 1000 and up. Uh, we went to Disney with, like, less than $500. <laughs> With less than $500, and we were able to eat, sleep for three nights, and then able to go to the park. The kids wanted to go to, you know, to Magic Kingdom, but we didn't have much. But we told the kids, God will provide. Um, Whatever park that we go, we're going to have fun anyway. So don't worry about it. We're here to have fun, you know, no matter what. And we pray. On our way going there, we said, Lord, help us. We don't have anything. You know, we came here with the kids. We don't have anything. But we asked for favor. We asked for favor and blessing. And when we got there, we saw the favor of God. We did with less than $500. And we were able to eat and cheap <laughs> food. You know, we ate buffet for $3.99, breakfast buffet for $3.99, which I never seen that before. And then um, we... We went to, um, we wanted to go to Holy Land Experience. We told the kids, you know, let's put Disney aside. Let's go where we can find the grace of God, you know, where we can learn about God, everything that happens there. For most of you who've been there, you know how yeah. wonderful it is. And that was my first time going to Holy Land Experience. It was my first time. So we, I told my sister, let's go on Monday. Oh, uh, maybe they open. So we went on Monday. It was already late. We did not know what time they opened, what time they closed. So we just went there anyway. And then we got to the gate. It was closed. So we read the sign was like from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Well, maybe it's over. And then we was they just take picture around and then look around and come back on Tuesday. So we were taking picture around and then it came a policeman who was like, oh. What are you guys doing? It was, we're just taking a picture. We love the beauty of this place. It's just wonderful. And we might come tomorrow. And then he was like, oh, you know what? The, the other side gate is open. If you guys want to come in and take picture inside, that's fine. I was, we was like, wow, that's wonderful. Because we don't think so they let anybody go inside the park when it's closed. So we were able to go inside the park. And the other police guy was like, um... Well, you can go in, but don't get out. Just take a picture inside your cars. 
So the first policeman who was like, go in, he was like, oh, you can get out. Take a picture. You know, don't worry about it. I got you. And then it was like, wow, that's beautiful. And then we took picture everywhere, and then we got tired. On our way out, the same policeman was like, are you guys coming tomorrow? I was like, yeah, we're coming tomorrow. He was like, you know what? When you guys come tomorrow, call me. I give you a discount. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that sounds so interesting. We, we did not know this policeman. We never met him before. He was like, I'm not on duty on Tuesday, but when you come in, this is my number, this is my name, call me, I'll be here to give you a discount. He was like, oh, Lord, we pray for favor, and then we start seeing it. So we went back to your hotel, we start putting our money together. How much we have? Um, um, I say we only have $160, and um, each ticket is $40 for adult and $25 for you know, little kids and $15, $15 for pre-K. It was like, uh, we might not have enough. But the guy said we have a discount. We have a half price. So out of 160 we only paying this. And we have another money left over to eat. Uh -huh. It was like, wow, that's a blessing. And then we, and then we thank God we got there on, on Tuesday. The same officer, man, he came even earlier. He was, I'm there already. And then we waited for him. He was able to go inside, and then we wow. got a discount, a half price of $40 ticket. And then we had fun. We really had fun. It was so amazing to see that. And then my sister was like, we prayed for the blessing. We need to believe for the blessing. When you pray for it and you lift in God's hands, he we do everything. So, and then with the flood, with everything, we just had a great time. And then I thank God I'm able to be here. And then uh, he saved me on the road, no accident. I drove a long way, and I'm back here. <laughs> That's good. Hmm. Good things. Good things. Well, we're glad you all made it out here today. Worships was, was good. It's a good time. I'm sure that there's some testimonies coming of people to receive stuff today that they needed, and uh, look forward to hearing those. As you go out this week, the more light that you get, the more light you should give. Make sure you find some people. You're going to have some Fourth uh, of July gatherings, people that you know. Share Jesus with them. Share what you know. As you have conversations, talk about stuff, people are concerned about what's going on in the world, you tell them what Jesus is doing. Tell them how good God is. Best way that people come out to church is that people invite them. So find some people that are around you. Ask if you say, oh, I don't know anybody to invite. Ask God. Say, God, send me somebody that I can invite to church. <laughs> and God will send you somebody that you can invite to church. You don't have to know them up till now. You can invite people you don't know. But you're going to get to know them. God's going to give you opportunity. Give, uh, give out some invites. Talk to them. Even tell you, I'll, I'll pick you up. I make it the offer sometimes. I'll tell people, I'll come pick you up. Or I'll um, we'll take you out to lunch afterwards. Or uh, I, I do all kinds of stuff. Just... Uh, Whatever you can do. The Word of God says compel them. Compel them. Get them to come on in. Don't take no for an answer. Just keep going. And uh, God will God'll help you. But if you need somebody, I don't know anybody. Don't, they can't hide behind that excuse. Because if we have a need, God has the answer. Father God, I need somebody I can invite to church. He'll send you along. Now, when you get the opportunity, take it. <laughs> make sure you take it. He'll give you another one too. But make sure you take the one that you got.